Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. To listener Susan, who says, hey, also, don't forget, this was on my, uh, in response to my litany of weekend planned opportunities um, for for each and every one of us. Um, Susan doesn't want us to forget that 8 to 8 tomorrow, so Saturday from 8 to 8, there's going to be a live stream at thereturn.org. It's a day of repentance. So um, in, ad- in addition to Repentance Sunday, uh, there are prayers all day tomorrow, 8 to 8, um, at thereturn.org. Again, a reminder that Franklin Graham is leading the prayer march in Washington, D.C. You can find that information at prayermarch2020.com. Focus on the Family is hosting the Sea Life event in New York City's Times Square. You can find that information at Focus on the Family um, as well. So lots of opportunities this weekend to come before the Lord um, virtually with others. And for those of you who are in D.C. or in New York City, you can do so in person. Um, all of the rest of us will gather um, in these events virtually. Um, but, you know, here's the good news. <laughs> Virtual events, uh, you know, prayer events, right? God's God's good with that, right? You and I can gather together. Two or three of us can gather together in the name of Jesus um, because prayer is not something that actually it's fun to be together to do it, but we can do it cooperatively over Zoom or um, or over any other virtual platform. So really pretty extraordinary opportunity to gather together with other believers. Um, you might be interested to know this. The United States Senate yesterday approved a unanimous, unanimous, that's unusual, right, for the Senate to do anything that's unanimous. So that's why I thought I would lift it up. The United States Senate yesterday approved by unanimous consent a resolution reaffirming its commitment to the orderly and peaceful, peaceful transfer of power called for in the Constitution of the United States. So all of the um, <clears throat> hand-wringing that uh, you're going to hear about whether or not there will be an orderly transfer of power in the United States of America uh, following the 2020 election cycle, however long it takes. Like, that's the part of this that I think we need to be mindful of. What's going to be most unusual um, about this year's election is that it's not going to start and end on November the 3rd. And so it's actually already begun. Lots of states uh, already have early voting. Uh, Minnesota led the way. Other states are now, you know, coming online doing um, all kinds of, uh, of early voting. Obviously, there is heated conversation about mail-in ballots, particularly those that were not requested um, by individuals who wanted to vote because they were going to be absentee. Um, so you're going to hear lots of hand-wringing about all of it. I recognize that. Let's just all settle into the reality that no matter how long it takes, we will have an orderly and peaceful transfer of power. We will not allow this to become a constitutional crisis for us as we the people. 
So we, the people, need to get ahead of that. This this is a government by we, the people. Like, don't lose sight of that. Government is not the people who we elect. Government is us. We, the people. All right, so we, the people, need to be um, <clears throat> taking some personal responsibility here and not just um, following whatever talking points are being offered up to us by people who have very, very, very partisan agendas. All right, Adam Holtz is waiting in the wings. He is from Focus on the Families Plugged In. We're going to talk about some media headlines and, yes, the Emmys, which was just a total dumpster fire. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families Plugged In, and he is going to lead off by telling you that I spoke an untruth. I just came, <laughs> I just apparently flat out lied to the people. So, um, Adam, fix what I broke. Well, you know, it's good to have fact checkers in the audience. Yeah, um, Sea Life 2020 is a Focus on the Family documentary that will be airing online, uh, and you can find it at focusonthefamily.com starting at 7 o'clock tomorrow night. So we did have an event in New York City last year, and we were going to do live events in five cities this year, but COVID put the kibosh on that. So uh, Sea Life 2020 is a about an hour-long um, documentary that really helps us to understand what happens when we're able to see an image of an unborn baby and how that changes hearts and minds with regard to the abortion um, discussion in our culture. We had Benjamin Watson on, I don't know, I feel like it was last week. I feel, maybe it was last Friday to talk He's about uh, the Divided Hearts of America film. Mm. And uh-huh. um yeah, I'm just I'm just there's a lot of really good content out there right now on the pro-life front. Um, so I want to encourage people to check out the Sea Life, S-E-E, not like Sea Life, not like things that are swimming in the oceans, but see, like actually right. see it with your own eyes. Sea <laughs> Life. Um, and that is at Focus on the Family dot com. Um, talk about Unpregnant, because that is uh, a life related movie. But um, yeah. but. From a different vantage point. From a different vantage point. Uh, This is a movie that is showing on HBO Max, which is HBO's streaming service. Everybody has a streaming service these days with their own proprietary content. It's about a young woman, a high schooler in Missouri who gets pregnant and she wants to get an abortion because she doesn't feel like she can trust her mom with this information. But Missouri doesn't allow abortion without parental consent. So she does some research, finds out the closest place she can get an abortion is Albuquerque, New Mexico. And so she and a friend take a road trip to Albuquerque so that she can get an abortion. And a couple things about this movie that I think are important. This is a, it's a buddy comedy. It is a lighthearted film. You wouldn't think that abortion would be a topic that would lend itself well to lots of jokes and and silly stuff, but there's lots of that here. Uh, It's also PG-13, so it's not necessarily aimed at an adult audience. It really is aimed at a teen audience. These characters are likable and they're relatable, and you can even find yourself nodding in agreement with their emotional logic at times. But what the film does, I think, is it, it, in a very um, subtle or maybe not so subtle way, 
it kind of turns abortion into a joke and it minimizes the severity of that choice. Uh, and we don't really see a young woman grappling with the potential consequences or just the, like I said, the gravity of the decision she's making. Uh, and I think that one of the things that film and TV both do is that when you have likable characters, uh, it makes it harder to actually critique the philosophical stance that they're taking. Uh, we saw that with Will and Grace. That was hugely influential in changing our culture's perception of homosexuality. And so these storytellers are are really working at delivering a message that is on the other side of what we believe as convictional Christians. But they do it in a powerful way. They do it through characters that we like. And I think uh, this would be a, a film. There's a lot of content here, even for a PG-13 film. But for older teens on up, um, I think it would be navigable for parents to actually have a conversation about this if you happen to have HBO Max. And, and for the rest of us, just being aware that the culture is framing this discussion in ways that uh, have a winsomeness to them. And so we really have to respond uh, the same way, which is what Sea Life 2020 is trying to do. I'm I'm a little disturbed about, you know, an abortion buddy road trip. But yeah. um, I recognize that um, it, you know, it, it actually is a storyline that is probably honest to the, exp excuse me, the experience that um, a number of people are having. Um, sure. It, I think that it's significant that she doesn't trust her mom, um, right. but she does trust her peer. Yep. And we need to remember that. Like, we, we need yeah. to remember that we are actually not the people who girls who get pregnant are coming to. They're yeah. going to their peers. And so when you talk about the importance of talking with our teenagers about these things, it's because our teenagers are the peers who are going to right. be in a position to influence the decision um, of one of their friends at school. Yeah. And, and so, you know what? yeah, I mean, I think that's really critical. Even in Christian families, I think that it's easy to, to want Absolutely. to believe these aren't issues that Christian families are dealing with. But they are, you know, there are women in our churches who are choosing quietly to get abortions. And I'm not trying to pile on condemnation. I'm just saying this isn't an issue that's out there. Uh, you know, teens may experiment with sex. They may be having more of it than we even realize. And we want to cultivate a relationship where we can talk about the real and the hard and the important issues that culture is certainly throwing at them. Yeah, there's no question about that. I, um, uh, I suppose the, you know, the direct conversation um, is always harder than the, hey, I'd like to have this conversation with you because there's a high likelihood that uh, you as a teenager are going to have a peer at school that's that's has that's facing this challenge. And, you know, I want you as my kid to be equipped for that conversation. I certainly yep. would hope that if you were ever in that situation, you would trust me. You would trust me. Yeah. Trust me to not freak out. Um you know, you, you know, I love you, you know, I love whatever child you'd ever bring into this world. And let's talk, Absolutely. you know, let's just be, let's just talk about that. Like, I think yep. those are hard conversations, but those are the essential conversations we as Christians have to have in our households, in our yeah. households. So um, yep. I don't have HBO Max. I don't even know how I would ever get to see this movie, but I, I do feel like having the conversation is really essential and important. So thanks for bringing it to yep. our attention. Again, want to direct people to um, see life. Focus on the family .com. 
Um, want to also direct people to Divided Hearts of America by Benjamin Watson. Uh, great movies on the pro-life front that are available right now. Hey, Adam Holtz and I have to take a very brief break. When we come back, um, I'm going to ask him to uh, talk about the Emmys. <laughs> That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. No, I'm a- Continuing my conversation with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families Plugged In. If you want to check out uh, reviews of some of the latest movies, if you want to um, connect with Focus on the Families Sea Life Project um, or read more about what we just talked about in terms of the movie Unpregnant, you can do that at PluggedIn.com. There is also a piece posted there called, Yes, the Emmys Were a Literal Trash Fire. Adam, uh, let me just admit to you, I uh, have never seen Euphoria. I don't know who um, Zendaya is, and um, nor have I ever watched the show that is apparently wildly popular and has a name I don't even want to say on air. No, we can't say the name of that on air. And let me just explain uh, the the reason for the title. Jennifer Aniston was on with Jimmy Kimmel, and they were doing a gag that they were burning the paper that had the award names on it and lighting it on fire. And they had a little trash can there. Well, Jennifer Aniston, it got a little out of control and the trash can literally was sort of out of control on fire and she couldn't put it out. So that's why we called it a trash fire. And, but it works metaphorically because every single thing that won on the Emmys this year was TVMA, which is the television equivalent of an R rating. Uh, and so Euphoria on, um, I believe, HBO, um, that's a show that stars Zendaya, who's a former Disney star, and it is a gritty, raw, depressing, extraordinarily explicit show about teen life. I mean, I, I suppose it could be more explicit, but I'm not sure. Uh, it, it would be in another category, an even nastier category, if you will, um, if, uh, you know, if it got more explicit than it is. Uh, and then the other one is about a creek with a bad name, as you referenced, which is a comedy that has been on for about six years. And the funny thing is, when I think about the Emmys and the shows that won, another big winner was HBO's Watchmen, which is sort of a pseudo post-apocalyptic anti-superhero show uh, about how unsuper our society is, uh, Ozark, The Morning Show, Succession. My guess is that most of your listeners have never even heard of these shows. You None know? of them. I haven't heard of any of them. Exactly. And so there was a time when we shared a culture where, okay, Friends had problems or, you know, there, and I don't even know how many Emmys Friends won. I'm just pulling that out from the Jennifer Aniston <laughs> connection. Um you would hear about these shows and you would at least have an idea of what they were and you would have an idea of why they won this year between COVID and the fact that television has splintered in a zillion different pieces. um, It's a bunch of shows nobody has heard of, but I think it's telling that so many of them are rated TVMA because they're all trying to outdo each other in nastiness, you know, with, with all of these streaming platforms now, they're not beholden to the FCC's content guidelines. And the upshot is it's all pretty much R-rated, uh, even though there's tons of research out there that shows, especially with movies, PG and PG-13 movies make a lot more money. 
but these content producers continue to really give us entertainment that's so laden with content that you're probably not even going to watch it, even if there are some redemptive diamonds in the rough buried deep in some of these stories. All right. I want to um, I want to pivot and talk about the um, the post by Paul Ace on uh, on PluggedIn.com, digitally dodging schoolwork as a yeah. parent who is um, supposed to be at least sideline supervising. Right. A, right. a student who is who all of his classes are now online. School's closed again. Um, t- talk with me about digitally dodging schoolwork, because I got to tell you, I wasn't aware that kids were doing what Paul's talking about in this piece. Well, you know, wherever you have technology, you'll have a technological workaround. And um, this looks at a number of different ways that people and, of course, students, one of the the clips that we have here is adults trying to get out of meetings at work, but it is ways to try to appear as if you're present even though you're not, you know, and the, the old movie equivalent would be putting pillows under the, the bedspread to make it look like you're still asleep when mom leaves, even though you have already left the building. Well, this is the, the digital equipment equivalent, excuse me. And it's just an article that will give you more information about some of the apps and some of the programs that are allowing kids to do this. And I think the reminder here, as you just said, is it's important for parents to be engaged. Um, some of us have to go to work and we don't have any uh, real alternative but to have you know older kids uh, at home without our supervision. But again, going back to our first conversation, talking about the importance of trust, talking about expectations, building that relationship, I think is the best safeguard against teens behaving badly. Um, but again, the technology enables that if they want to make that choice. So it's, it's important for parents to be aware of that. And Paul's article on our blog will give you some more information about that. Pluggedin.com is where you want to go um, if you want to check out any of the things we've been talking about today or movie reviews, um, all kinds of great stuff posted um, posted right there. And frankly, you know, sometimes you can just tell by the pictures of something that you want to click on or don't want to click on. So real quickly, yep. um, do we have one minute? Hey, can you do yep. Red Shoes and the Seven Dwarves in one minute? I can do Red Shoes and the Seven Dwarves in one minute. This is That's the animated- only picture on the whole page I would want to click on. It's an animated semi-reboot of the Snow White story. You might summarize it as Snow White and Shrek had a car accident. Um, it's got that that kind of vibe to it. But uh, Snow White is not what she appears to be, and neither are the seven hideous dwarves who've been cursed uh, what they appear to be. And it's a, it's a really nice movie about the importance of looking beneath the surface, um, you know, when we make judgments about people. Okay, I like it that they're known as the Fearless Seven. So I yes. kind of now I kind of now <laughs> want to know more. All right, so I'm going to learn more by going to PluggedIn.com. Um, Adam, thanks. Have a blessed day, blessed weekend. You too, Carmen. Hey, Thank what's you. on the weekend plan? One thing, one thing you're going to do this weekend other than sleep. Uh, it's my son's 14th birthday, <gasps> so we'll be celebrating. Whoop, whoop. All right, happy yep. birthday! All right, thanks, yeah. man. <laughs> Bye. We'll be right back. We are called to be people who are in Christ. We are called to be people who are 
conformed more and more to the reality of Christ cooperating moment by moment with the Holy Spirit living within us. But in reality, there's a lot of us not going that deep. A lot of us are pretty much on the surface when it comes to the things of the faith. We do the surface things. We check off the boxes. But do we go deep? And if we wanted to go deep, how would we do that? Well, Pastor Rich Velotis has written a book entitled The Deeply Formed Life, and he's going to join me next to talk about just that. How do we how do we get beyond surface Christianity to a deeper life in Christ? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Lucado. Look carefully at Mary's back and forth with Jesus as recorded in the miracle of water becoming wine. In verse 3, she presents the need. They have no more wine. In verse 4, Jesus is curiously unreceptive, saying, Dear woman, that's not our problem. My time has not yet come. Hence, Mary's petition was met with Jesus' hesitation. You've heard the same. In your personal version of verse 3, you explained your shortage. You pleaded your case. And then came verse 4, silence. When no answer comes, how does your verse 5 read? Mary's verse 5 reads like this. His mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Translation, I trust Jesus. Dear friends, please remember, Jesus is with you. And you are never alone. Rich Velotas uh, was born in Brooklyn. He's now the lead pastor of New Life Fellowship. It's a large multiracial church with more than 75 countries represented. It's in Queens. He is also the husband to Rosie, the dad to Karis and Nathan. And now he's the author of The Deeply Formed Life. You can find him at richvelotas.com. Rich, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. So good to be with you, Carmen. Thanks for the invitation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So the opening metaphor of the book, and again, friends, the book is The Deeply Formed Life. Um, The opening metaphor of the book is that of the Titanic. Now, everyone is familiar with the story, familiar with the movie. Talk about the boat we're all on and maybe, you know, depending on our deck, how different our experience is. Yeah. You know, from time to time, I've watched Titanic. Uh, It's one of my go-to movies. And uh, whenever it whenever it's on, there's this striking contrast from the upper decks and the lower decks, and many of us are familiar with it, where a few days out to sea, the Titanic hits an iceberg, and at that point, there's a tale of two ships, where the lower deck is experiencing all kinds of chaos, and the upper decks are totally oblivious to uh, the chaos beneath the surface, if you will. Uh, and then it gets to a point, spoiler alert, where uh, the Titanic uh, just sinks, And it's really a metaphor for our lives in that there's so much happening beneath the surface of our lives that we are unaware of, that we do not go to the lower decks of our lives. And as a result, um, as our lives progress, uh, many of us are finding ourselves in capsized situations because there are really two worlds, our outer world and our inner world. 
So let's move from the image of the iceberg to the image of the root system, because that's where you head. Um, talk about the importance of a root, root system when we're talking about a deeply formed life, because I can have something that looks pretty good out here walking around in the world. And in reality, I could be a person who um, whose faith is very, very shallow. And if I have yeah. a really shallow faith, right, I'm my resilience is going to be, well, I'm not going to be resilient. Yeah, you know, the deeply formed life came from an image, uh, or the image of the deeply formed life came from a trip. I was I was in San Francisco at a church uh, retreat and uh, in the Redwoods. And uh, one of the pastors gave a very short explanation of just the redwood trees. And what surprised me was, you know, beyond just the redwoods soaring high into the sky, the root system that these trees were a part of was fascinated me. And so the roots don't go incredibly deep, but they they stretch incredibly uh, wide. So they're part of a root system. And so as I was listening to this pastor, I thought, oh, this is the metaphor I think I need. And that a deeply formed life is a life that's formed by Jesus and for Jesus, but it's done in a way that's robustly integrated. And so for me, that integration uh, is really about five particular areas. And, and I spell it out in this way. It's contemplative rhythms. It's racial reconciliation. It's interior examination. It's sexual wholeness and missional presence. And these are five, I think, incredibly urgent areas. These are not all the areas to Christian faith, but I find these five areas to be incredibly important for the time that we're in. And so we need a root system that is uh, strong enough uh, to hold these things together and deepen us in Christ. So I have no idea um, if you'll even recognize the name of Phil Joel, um, but he is a Christian um, artist, Christian musician. And um, he had, I mean, when I say when I read it in your book, I had like a flashback moment. Phil Joel wrote about a Redwoods moment that inspired him in I mean, in almost identical ways. It's huh. so crazy. It's so crazy. So, um, so his book is called Redwoods and Whales: Becoming Who You Actually Are. Um, and again, I mean, he's a musician. He's never written a book. This is not like his area of expertise. But, um, but so vivid were these experiences, right? That he was like, "This is I want to be different. I want to have." And so, when you when I read the Deeply Formed Life, I'm thinking to myself, so. Um, uh, these experiences are not isolated, but mm. we often don't talk about them publicly enough for everybody to make the personal connection, right? Like, oh, well, you know, Phil's a pastor. I mean, Rich is a pastor. Clearly, Rich has had this kind of deeply formed life experience. This makes sense. He's a pastor. Phil is a Christian artist. Clearly, he has these kinds of experiences. No, no. I think what both of you are saying is every Christian is intended to be deeply rooted. Every Christian is intended to have um, a deeply formed life in and with Jesus Christ. Um, yeah. I, and yeah, so I mean, I just love where you go with this. Yeah. And, you know, the, the gift of uh, that I have is to be a pastor of a congregation of people from all over the world. And so I have seen people say yes to this gracious invitation to a life that's deeply formed in Christ. And yeah, this is not just for like pastors and professional Christians and all that there. Uh, It's for everyone who says yes to Christ, the invitation to a life that's marked by healing and depth and transformation uh, is truly available. I I truly believe that. Um, I want to talk with you specifically uh, about the five values that you explore in the deeply formed life. But let me tell people, if you're already, um, if you're already intrigued and you're already saying to yourself, you really, really want a copy 
of the deeply formed life. I do have copies um, from the publisher to uh, to share with you. And so if this is the book that you've been waiting to enter to get a complimentary copy of, go ahead and text the word book to 877-933-2484. And Rich Velotis is uh, is just, he's a good storyteller. He's also an excellent preacher. Um, And so the book is a good read. But let me just go ahead and warn you, it should come with a bit of a warning label um, because he's not just exploring these five values. Um, He's actually introducing us to practices through which we can move into contemplative rhythms, racial reconciliation, interior examination, sexual wholeness, missional presence. Um, And so let me let me just tell you in advance, this isn't just information. This is a book um, that provides a pathway to a deeply formed life, uh, to real transformation. So, um, so Rich, let's take a very brief break. When we come back, give us the top line for each of the five values that you explore, and then we'll talk a little bit about um, about the whole concept of practices and the ones you tee up for us. I'm talking with Rich Velotis. You can find him at richvelotis.com. And yes, I'm giving away copies today of uh, The Deeply Formed Life. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Continue my conversation with Rich Velotis, author of The Deeply Formed Life. Um, Rich, give us the top line of each of the five values that you explore um, in the book. Yeah, so I, I write about contemplative rhythms for an exhausted life, uh, racial reconciliation for a divided world, interior examination for a world living on the surface, uh, sexual wholeness for a culture that splits bodies from souls, and missional presence in a distracted and disengaged world. Um, and so, I, you know, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna pick one because as soon as you you know use the word sex on a Christian radio program, like that's the only thing people hear. So, um, sexual wholeness for a culture that splits bodies from souls. Um, I think that we we often don't know how we're supposed to live an integrated life. How how is my how is my spiritual life um, not just you know one piece of of the pie, but, you know, how is it really integrated with my whole self, um, mm-hmm. my body included in that? That That's really what this chapter is about. Yeah, it's, a, it's exactly that. It's, it's holding together uh, the parts of our lives. And, and if, there, if anyone should be navigating this well, it should be Christians. Uh, we believe in a God who became human, who had a body, and uh, it's, I find it to be uh, strange that and sad that uh, many of the people who have most difficulty integrating their spirituality and their sexuality in their bodies happens to be Christians. Uh, and so as a result, we find ourselves marked by repression and suppression, uh, you know, and as a result, there's a lot of acting out, addictions and such. But uh, Christians should be leading the way in terms of an integrative way of following Christ in our sexuality as it relates to our spirituality. Um, let's talk about practices. As soon as we use that term, um, I, I know that I'm going to feel some pushback from some people who associate practices with, you know, mystical or non-Christian, let's say, religions. 
but there are lots of practices. I mean, Christians engage in religious practices of all kinds. Going to church is a practice. Reading the scriptures is a practice, right? I mean, and so talk with us about the practices, some of the practices that you introduced that might be new for people. Yeah. For, first of all, the practices, it, it's really about an intentional reordering of our lives. That's the core of what a practice is. I'm intentionally reordering my lives so that I can follow Christ more faithfully in this world. And so, you know, the practices, they don't save us. You know, God saves us. God rescues us in Christ. But our practices are meant to flesh that out. And so, uh, for example, uh, in the contemplative rhythms chapter, I, I, I introduce people to uh, the practice of silent prayer. That most people, uh, when they think about prayer, it's marked by verbosity, is, is marked by lots of chatter, and there's very little listening, or very simply being with God in silence. And yet, an argument can be made that the more familiar you are with someone, the easier it is to be silent in their presence. Uh, Carmen, you and I just met, but if we were on a car ride for two hours or so, it'd be pretty awkward if you and I were not talking for the vast majority of that time because we don't really know each other. But I can ride with my wife for two, three, four, five hours and be uh, silent in her presence because it's a mark of familiarity. You know, what does it say about our lives if we cannot truly be silent with God? Maybe we're not as familiar with God as we think we are. And so silent prayer is one of the, the ways that we are sharing our presence with God, simply enjoying it, not to get anything out of it, but to simply be with God. Along those lines, you know, I talk about the slow reading of Scripture. Uh, we live in a skimming, scrolling, superficial, fast-paced world, uh, and we often treat our Scripture reading in the very same way. But what does it mean to, to, to chew on a verse, to chew on four or five words and stay there for 10, 20 minutes and allow those words to absorb our souls. It's, it's really about slowing down to go deep uh, so that we can encounter God and, and love others well at the same time. I remember in seminary reading um, about people who would spend hours just contemplating, let's say, one word from the Lord's Prayer. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it just, I mean, you could get stuck for a long time on the first word, our. Yes, exactly right. right. And, and then, I mean, you can spend a lifetime on the word father. That's right. Right. And so I think that's what you're talking about. I think you're talking about historical Christian practices, many of which are lost to some of us. Um, and reading slowly is so important in in so many parts of our lives. Um, and so I think that what I want people to hear us acknowledging is that um, you are reintroducing us to some very historic practices of the faith that are lost to many people. Um, and so you're training us up not only in righteousness, but really inviting us into this deep fellowship with Christ that does change everything. It, it, is, um, it is a fully integrated life. The book is The Deeply Formed Life. Rich Velotis is the author. I am giving away copies today. If you would like to enter the drawing, text the word book to 877-933-2484. All right. Um, I'm going to ask you a different kind of question here at the end of our conversation so that to prepare us for a silent ride together, you know, I don't know, right? That's, yeah. So um, October is Pastor Appreciation Month. So you're a pastor. Um, I'm, uh, I'm a church person. I love my pastor. What are some things that I could do to encourage my pastor and his family during Pastor Appreciation Month? 
uh, give your pastor money. Uh, <laughs> you know, honestly. See, I, mean, I love it. See, my pastor would never say that to me, but you can say that to me, right? <laughs> and then I can say it to everybody else, right? Pastors, okay, go ahead. I'm gonna. I'm writing yeah. that down. And that's number one. I, I mean, not every pastor. I mean, I I, I have a very generous congregation. Uh, I feel you know financially great. Uh, there are a lot of pastors that could use, uh, you know, the average church size, I believe, is something like 70, 80 people. And uh, lots of pastors are financially struggling. And so I think um, a a very practical gift like that would be great, as well as uh, with with that gift, a wonderful card with um, some words of encouragement. I think that goes a really long way. All right. Um, And then my other question for you is, you are a New Yorker. Is that fair to say? I mean, if you're born in one of the boroughs, you're a New Yorker, right? 100%. Okay. And you still live there. Um, but yeah, it's got I, to be— I four years in Brooklyn and, and seven years in Queens. It's got to be different than it was prior to the beginning of the year. So how has it changed, and what is it like to live in New York right now? What is really fascinating, actually, and this is the nature of New York City because we have five boroughs— Manhattan has really changed. Not, Queens hasn't. And so I remember going into Manhattan to record my audiobook, and I was jarred by how empty it was uh, in Midtown. You know, these are areas during rush hour where it would, you know, be incredibly crowded. And I remember getting off the train and no one was there. I called my wife and sent her pictures. I was jarred by it. Uh, but in Queens, uh, it's just a different borough. And so you would not know we were in a pandemic in Queens. Of course, there's not the crowds or anything like that, but there's still life on the streets. Uh, Manhattan has changed. And, and part of it as well is because tourism, as well as it's very transient. And so there's lots of people who live in Manhattan who are not from New York. And so when the pandemic hit, they started heading back wherever they came from, you know, the South or the Midwest, the West Coast. Uh, and so as a result, what we what we saw was just... Um, a deserted island, it felt. But uh, in Queens and the other boroughs like Brooklyn, uh, I don't think there was much of a difference, honestly. All right. Check out The Deeply Formed Life. Check out Rich's website, Rich Velodas, V-I-L-L-O-D-A-S, richvelodas.com. Hey, Rich, can we pray for you and your family and your congregation before you go? Please do. Please do. Father, I, I thank you for my brother in Christ, Rich. I thank you for um, the way you have poured yourself and your word into him. I thank you for your gracious invitation that he would serve on the front line of gospel advancement in such a key city in the world today. Um, and so we want to uh, ask that you would anoint him afresh and anew, a fresh wind of your spirit upon him. Um, we thank you for the gift of his words and his teaching and his fellowship. We ask a hand of blessing and protection upon his family and give his congregation just um, really extraordinary opportunities, not only here, but abroad, uh, from the 75 nations from which they hail. Indeed, that, um, that people would come to know you and the joy of a fellowship um, with you forever and ever. Amen. Rich Velotis, thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. We really appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Carmen. All right, we'll be right back. All right, I'm going to circle back around to the questions. Where in the Word are you today? Where in the Word are you today? Encouragement to be in the Word of God before you're anywhere else. Read it slowly. Spend some time in silence before the Lord. Yeah, deepen your fellowship 
with God this weekend. That's a good thing to be doing this weekend. What are your other weekend plans? Encourage you to check out, if you're interested, what Franklin Graham is doing, leading a prayer march in Washington, D.C. That's at Prayer March 2020. Focus on the Family's Sea Life movie is available at FocusOnTheFamily.com. TheReturn.org, hosting prayers of repentance and returning to the Lord, calling calling our nation back to God, 8 to 8 tomorrow. That's at TheReturn.org. And then it's Repentance Sunday as well. So um, check that out. All right, all kinds of opportunities for us to engage as people of faith and to um, really go before the Lord, lifting up our nation at this particular point in her history. I'm going to count on you uh, to go forth today with the good news of the gospel, recognizing that the word of God never returns void. It always accomplishes that for which he sends it forth. Have a great day. Have a great weekend. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.